0: Thanks, Joe. Why don't you guys bow with me and let's pray. Father, we, uh, we want to approach the throne of grace right now, as the book of Hebrews says, to find help and grace and truth in our time of need. And so as we open your book to the book we've been studying within it, Second Peter, as we um, now look deeply at the words that you've shared with us, we pray that you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see. May you give us hearts and minds that are humble and submissive before you and willing to act and that we know to, which we know to be true. And so, Lord, if there's somebody who came in here to, today that's either confused or hurting, or maybe just needs a jolt of joy, something to move on, we pray, God, that you might give that to them through your word now. <clears throat> and Lord, may all of us uh, just be willing participants as we talk about your truth now. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Okay, I need you to think about this with me right now. I need you to kind of put on your, your thinking caps with me and, and delve into the topic before us today. And, and to do that, I need you to, to wrestle with the fact that life is filled with all kinds of limiters in it. Have you found that yet? The, the, the life that you and I live, this side of heaven kind of builds into it, is filled with all kinds of things and activities by their very nature that have limits to them. And much of the time, we're not even conscious or notice them. So, for instance, you're driving down the road in your car, you got speed limits to abide by, right? And though some of you don't abide very well by the speed limits, you're limited even just by how fast your car could go. It's only going to go so fast. Or how about if you go to a meal today at a restaurant after church today? I mean, you're going to order some food. You're going to be given a certain limited portion of food, right? That's the way the world works. And even if some of you gluttons go to a big buffet and try to go crazy on food today, the reality is your body, as you're going to find, can only take so much, right? You're limited by your physical nature. Or how about if you go to a sporting event? There's a start time and a stop time to most sporting events, right? And so it's not endless. It doesn't go on and on and on. So like I'm a Cleveland Browns fan and we're thankful for that eventual stop time, right? I mean, the pain ends eventually when I'm watching the Browns. Or how about watching your favorite TV show? I mean, there's only a certain amount of episodes that are built into each season. I mean, the list is endless, folks. You buy a new house and you qualify for only so much financing. You buy a new car and eventually it's going to only work a certain number of miles. You even get a new computer nowadays with a 500 gigabyte hard drive and guess what? You're going to fill it up eventually. You're gonna find limits. I remember two and a half years ago when I bought my laptop computer, two and a half years ago, and it came with a 105 gigabyte hard drive. And I thought there is no way I'm ever gonna fill up 105 gigabytes. I mean, I've been into computers since the mid-1990s when I thought a 40 megabyte Seagate drive was a big hard drive. And now they're making 105 gigabytes. Two and a half years ago, I thought, within six months of putting iTunes shows on it and bigger Bible works programs with all the Hebrew and Greek and all my wife's digital pictures from our family vacation, guess what? I was offloading that hard drive to other places, to other uh, backup devices to make more room. I mean, think about it, folks. Life, by its very nature, has limits to it in all aspects. Our bodies have limits. Our material possessions come with limits. Our society has all kinds of limits. Even our key relationships have limits. You've found that. Certain levels of growth that you and I hit that at least for the current season, we aren't going to grow anymore. We're limited even in our relational capacity. Life, as you and I know it and experience it, is all about limits. It's part of being finite. It's part of being human. And yet then along comes God, and this is where I need you to think about it, and He is absolutely limitless, right? I mean, God, by His very nature, knows no limits. When it comes to love, the Bible says His love knows no limits. Even the most unlovable person can be loved by God. When it comes to forgiveness, the Bible says He knows no limits. Jesus said that forgiveness can be multiplied 7 times 70 for the same offense. The Old Testament tells us that God's forgiveness is so vast that it extends from the east to the west, which in an infinite universe is a never-ending line. When it comes to holiness and goodness, there are no boundaries with God. He is 100% holy and 100% good, limitless in His ability to act righteously and benevolently. I mean, don't let this escape you, folks. There is not one aspect of God that is bound by anything that you and I are bound by. Not his knowledge, not his power, not his will to act, not his goodness, not his love, not his grace. He's limitless. And so once you get this, let me ask you, what happens then when the limitless meets the limited? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, what happens when God, who exists outside of space and time, meets time-bounded, space-bounded, sin-bounded, knowledge-bounded, everything-bounded humanity? What happens, do you think, when one meets the other and engages in an ongoing, continuous relationship? We are studying the New Testament book of Second Peter this spring here at Scottsdale Bible, and Peter is challenging us to eight key things about life. We've called it Eight Challenges from a Man About to Die. Because Peter declares here in chapter 1 that he knows he's about to die, so he's challenging us with no less than eight key truisms about life, this side of heaven, that he wants us to know. They're the words of a dying man. And as we make our way through chapter 1 here, we notice that Peter then comes to a second challenge. We saw the first one two weeks ago that he gives us about our lives. And it addresses this limitless, meeting the limited issue before us. And so look up here on the screen. Here's the challenge. It's the only thing you need to, to know here today. And that is that we are not to limit God's ability to act in your life. That's what Peter's going to tell us. Don't limit God's ability to act, and might I say, in your limited life. Because make no mistake, folks, what happens when limited human beings meet and through faith interact with a limitless God is that spiritual sparks tend to fly. Have you read the Bible? How God's power, love, righteousness, grace, and truth begin to flow freely in and through us. I want to show you what I mean. If you brought a Bible with you here this morning, I want you to open up to the book of 2 Peter. We're going to park here all the rest of our time today. Open up to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to look at just verses 3 and 4 here today just two verses, one very, very long sentence. And the reason we're doing that is because we don't want to kind of drive too fast by the truth that Peter's giving us here, because you're going to see this one long sentence is pregnant with meaning. So 2 Peter verse, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Let me read them for you as you follow along. Look up here on the screen. He says, His divine power Has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glorious glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, to fully get what Peter is telling us here, I want you to notice that He is communicating two key things. Uh, concerning this challenge before us. First, he's telling us the what, and then he's telling us the how. The what and the how of God's limitless activity in our limited lives. So first, notice the what that Peter is telling us here. Read again with me verse 3, just the first part of it. This is the what. He says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's the what. So linked together there, that phrase divine power, and then all things that pertain to life and godliness. And what Peter is saying, folks, you don't want to miss, is that the limitless God, who by His very nature contains divine power, desires to unleash His power in our lives so that we might live as followers of Him. And yet it doesn't stop there. He then further says that God wants to unleash this in such a way that you and I will have everything that we need to live the life God wants us to this side of heaven. I mean, it's an amazing phrase here. There's absolutely no wiggle room in what He's trying to tell us here when it comes to what it's going to take to live life to the full this side of heaven. I mean, when it says there that He's granted to you and me all things... I looked it up in the original Greek language that the Bible was written in 2,000 years ago. And you know what this phrase literally means in the Greek? This is going to blow you away. It means all things. It means all things. That's exactly what it's saying here. That everything you and I need to please God and live life to the full, He has granted us and will continue to grant us through His divine power. And that word life here is a very common New Testament word. It's the Greek word Zoe. You ever know the band Zoe Girl? You know, it's one of the popular bands with the kids and maybe with some of you. Zoe simply means life. It's a very common word in the New Testament. And whenever it's used, it always refers to life this side of heaven. Physically, emotionally, intellectually, relationally, vocationally, all of life. And then he says godliness. And that simply refers to one's reverence or piety before God, one's general relationship. With Almighty God, one's walk with Him. And so when you add the two together, it's simply referring to one's entire life in walking humbly and closely with God. That's what Peter's getting to. That everything that you and I need to live a life pleasing to God, a life that will give us joy, peace, purpose, and meaning, He has granted to us, given to us through His divine power. That's the what. That's why I say the challenge to you and me here is don't limit God's ability to act in your limited life. That's what he's saying. And as many of you know, whenever I read God's Word, whenever I teach God's Word, we can't help but not apply this to our lives. Amen? I mean, I'll never forget my dad walking by the, uh, the practical theology department when I was giving him a tour of my seminary years ago. And he looked at the sign that said practical theology department. And he said, where's the impractical theology department? Right? As if so- somehow there's any theology we shouldn't live. I mean, of course we should. We need to live everything that God teaches us. And so as you think about this point before us this morning, I want you to think of all the things that we believe hold us back from living the life or living life the way that God wants us to. I mean, I hear them all the time. I even have my own arsenal of excuses from time to time. I want you to think of all the things that we think or maybe even say that hold us back. Like I know sometimes I'm tempted to think maybe my circumstances are holding me back, right? My current difficult circumstances. So I hear this sometimes. I hear people say, you don't get it, God. If I just didn't have this circumstance in my life or that circumstance in my life, then I could really walk with you in such a way that my life would have meaning. I mean, if I just had a better marriage partner or a more fulfilling job or not so many financial struggles or kids that listen to me or less depression or no more anxiety or not so many temptations to sin or if my ADD would just go away, or my cancer, or my fatigue, then I could live life the way that you want me to, God. And so we use the excuse of our circumstances. Think about it. Our limited, seemingly binding circumstances as reasons for not walking with God in fullness and joy. As you're chewing on that, think of a second excuse that I hear many times. How about our lack of growth and maturity? You ever use that one? I hear this one all the time. People say, you know, if I could just finally grow up and get my act together, Jamie, th- then, I, then I could live life the way God wants me to. I mean, if I could just become doctrinally smart like Wayne Grudem or Fred Shea or Paul Wagner, or if I could just become winsome like Daryl, or if I could just be holy like my grandmother, then I could please God and walk with Him in such a way that matters. I mean, never mind the fact that, that it was during those very early days of faith, what C.S. Lewis calls our first fervor, Before any of us had memorized Bible verses or read dozens of commentaries or attended five Bible studies a week or served in soup kitchens, it was before any of this that many of us look back and say, man, were those the days. Like, you ever find yourself doing that? I look back at my early days of my Christian faith before I knew anything, and I say, man, was I on fire for Christ I I woke up every day with a passion in my belly and a desire to walk with Him. And I was confessing sin way before I read 1 John 1, 9 that tells me to confess my sin. I just did it because I felt it and I knew it. And before I knew any of that, I, I was walking with God. I was spiritually mature and walking with God. Or how about thirdly, the defeating of certain sins. I hear this one a lot too. They say, you know, if I could just get over this sin or that sin, you know, that nagging always seemed to raise its ugly head and bite me sin, then I could walk with God in such a way that may be life-changing. And again, when I hear this, I think, well, never mind the fact that sanctification is a process that begins with forgiveness of our sin, and then God works patiently in and through it all to help us deal effectively with our sin, but then it takes time as we walk with Him. Never mind the fact that the original 12 disciples had lots of nagging sins while walking with Jesus. You ever read about it? I mean, like pride, fear, anger, backbiting, faithlessness. And they seem to walk with God and Jesus pretty effectively. I mean, don't miss this, folks. Peter is saying that none of these things Not your current circumstances, not your lack of growth and maturity in Christ, not your battle with ongoing sin. None of these things are legitimate excuses for not walking with God in a transformational way. The what here is that if you have come to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you count yourself as a follower of Jesus, muddled and imperfect as you are, then God has unleashed his divine power in your life. And he's unleashed it in such a way as to already have given you everything that you need for life and godliness. And that's the first thing Peter makes clear to us in this challenge of his. Don't limit God's ability to act in your very limited life because he's in the habit of unleashing his power for those that follow him. Now, one of the things I love about the Bible is that once you get the what... Almost invariably, the Bible goes on to talk about the how. In other words, it never just says, do this. It always says, do this, and here's how you're supposed to do it. So isn't it fascinating that in this very long sentence, the first quarter of it tells us the what, and then the next three quarters of it tells us the how. And so notice how specifically, how Peter tells us how God's divine power, the same power that equips us, is now to get in our daily lives. In other words, what we're supposed to do or be about so that we might have all that we need for life and godliness. Let me read it for you one more time here, verses 3b and then verse 4, and see if you can pick up on the how. He says, Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, believe it or not, there's a lot jam-packed in that verse and a half. I'm telling you, we could do an entire series of messages just in what is contained in these, this short or this long sentence here. And yet, for time's sake this morning, I want you to look up here on the screen, and I want to kind of give you in a chart form, because I know some of you like charts like I do, what the progression of Peter's thinking is here that leads to this divine power being unleashed. And notice what Peter is saying is this. He's saying that it's through knowing Jesus personally, in other words, coming to him as Lord and Savior, establishing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and then learning to continue to trust in his promises. I mean, the hundreds of them that are in the Bible and in the New Testament that you partake and escape. So through knowing Jesus... And then learning to bank on his promises, you partake of his divine nature and you escape the world's grasp. That's what Peter is saying here. And so break this down. Notice that he begins there in verse 3b by saying, through knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Uh, The him here obviously refers to Jesus. He's the last person mentioned in verse 2 there. So the context here is talking about Jesus Jesus himself said he came to call sinners to repentance. And so the fact is, when Peter says that of should have been called into his kingdom, he's referring to Jesus here. And we know well that many times when the New Testament uses that word knowledge there, and now don't miss this, it's the Greek word epigenosis, it means to know personally. It's referring to intimate knowledge that is born of relationship. And so it's not just head knowledge that, that Peter's talking about here. I mean, Tim was exactly right when he mentioned during our elder interview that it's not some Bible institute we're creating here, but it's a transformational relationship being talked about with Jesus Christ. That's what Peter is getting at here. And so he's saying the first step to experiencing God's power that gives us all that we need to live life is to know Jesus personally. Pause there, folks. One of the things that I have to explain probably every week to people, is that one of the reasons that Scottsdale Bible talks all the time around here about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is because that's what the Bible makes painstakingly clear. I mean, you and I live in a culture as multicultural, tolerant as it is, and those are good things, that tries to dupe us into thinking that if you're just a general liberal believer in God as you define Him, then that's enough. That define God as you will, watch Oprah, Doc, Dr. Phil, watch a few PBS specials, attend church on Christmas and, and, and maybe Easter, and that's enough. And the reality is, the Bible knows nothing of that. In fact, the Bible very clearly says that God 2,000 years ago saw our sin, saw our mess, came down in the form of Jesus, called the Logos, the revelation of God, and said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I'm life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And call it exclusive But I love how Robbie Zacharias says that he says, God is inclusive of all people, but he's exclusive when it comes to truth. And as he looks at all people, he exclusively says, now here's the truth, believe it and follow me. And the truth is that God has revealed himself in Jesus. And outside of establishing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through coming to a point where you accept him as Lord and Savior, you don't know God as he wants you to. And yet the flip side is also true, isn't it? That once we come into a life-giving relationship with Christ, through accepting Him as Lord and Savior, now you go from black and white to technicolor. Now, as Peter says, God's power is beginning to become unleashed in your life. It's the first step to know Jesus personally. Do you see how that works? Uh, But notice that Peter is telling us here as well that this alone is not sufficient To unleash God's ongoing power in our lives. He mentions a second thing in that progression up there on the screen in the discussion of the how, and that is that we need to trust continually in God's promises, what Peter calls his precious and great promises. I love that phrase. And that word precious here simply means valuable. That phrase great or very great is actually one Greek word in the original language that the Bible was written, and it's the Greek word megista, where we get our English word magnificent from. So put it together. He's saying that God has given us some pretty valuable and some pretty awesome promises and that you need to bank on those promises and trust in them continually if you're ever going to see God's power unleashed in your life. That's what he's saying here. And so some of you say, well, Jamie, what's that about? I mean, promises? I mean, what are you talking about? Well, folks, one of the things that we need to understand about how to walk with God in a transformational way is that we need to read and know this book and the hundreds of promises that appear in both the Old and the New Testament, understand them rightly in the context. Now get this, and then as you walk down the road each day and you experience all of life as you do, you bring to mind the promises of God, the truth of his word, and you say, I trust him. I trust Him right now, given my current circumstances, given what I'm going through. And God says that as you know and trust His promises, His power for that moment is unleashed in your life. And though we don't have time today to go through all the hundreds of promises in the New Testament alone, let me just give you some examples of how this works. This might be helpful for you. Think of the promise in Matthew 28, verse 20. In which Jesus said, And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Many of you know that promise, it's a very simple one. It's a promise of constant presence. The fact that once you are Jesus', He says, I'm never going to leave you, I'm always going to be with you. And the key question becomes then, is do you believe that? Do you trust that as you're walking down the road when you experience difficult times in your life and something seems to be overwhelming to you? Do you really and truly believe that his presence is always with you and makes a difference? And if you do and you claim that by faith, the Bible says God's power is unleashed there. Do you see that? He gives you strength. Or how about 1 Corinthians 10:13, one of my famous promise, favorite promises in the scriptures? Let me ask you a baiting question here. How many of you experienced temptation to sin this week? Anybody? I did, and I'm a pastor for crying out loud. And, and, and so the reality is, is that whenever we're tempted, listen to the promise that the Scriptures give us in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. It says, and I'm going to personalize it, it says, no temptation has overtaken you, Jamie, that's not common to everybody else. And God is faithful. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when you are tempted, He's also going to provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. What an incredible promise that is. If I'm reading it right, it basically says that when I experience that temptation again in my life, that if I pause at that moment and claim that promise and say, oops, I feel overwhelmed right now, but God said I won't be overwhelmed beyond what I can take, and there's probably an escape route in this right now, and I look for it, that God indeed is going to give it to me. Right? That's a promise. I mean, do you believe that? Do you bank on it? His power is unleashed in our lives when we bank on His promises. Or maybe hitting real close to home, how about as a third example, Hebrews 13, verse 5. This has to do with our economy right now. It says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. this is a promise of provision. And yet notice like many promises in the Bible, it's a promise that also includes a condition. Did you catch it? He's saying, I'm never going to leave you, never forsake you. I'm always going to provide for you. But he says, keep your life free from the love of money. In other words we talked about a few weeks ago avoid greed so the question becomes for you and me is as we're walking down the road we go to best buy or costco or wherever we go and we see that item that we want we know we can't afford it we know we shouldn't buy it are we willing to be faithful at that time and say i'm, I'm going to keep myself from greed i'm going to trust for god's provision and we move on if you do that the bible says guess what his power his provision will be unleashed in your life his divine power Or, how about Ephesians 6, verse 2? Now, listen to what it says. It says, Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment, with a promise (laughs) that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. A quick note on how to read the Bible. Many times people go to the Old Testament and they'll claim some promise for Israel and say, It applies to me today. And I sit there and go, whoa, dude, like, read the Bible in context, please. I mean, just because something was written historically to Israel doesn't mean that it always applies to you. And yet fascinating is that Ephesians 6.2 here is in the New Testament, a promise given to Israel years ago that's repeated in the New Testament that says, honor your father and mother, and if you do, there's a promise. Things will go well with you, and you'll live long in the land. Now, the question is, do you and I believe that? It didn't say that that you're going to be stress-free if you honor your father and mother. It didn't say that there won't be any relational discord in your life. It just says that somehow things are going to go well with you inside your soul. And whatever it means when it says you're going to live long in the land, maybe there's a blessing in that. The question is, do you believe that? I've spent my life trying not to diss my parents for all the things that they did wrong. How about you? I've spent my life trying to honor them as a son and love them. I just spent two days with them this week. And the reality is, I, think there, I don't do it for the blessing, but I think there's great blessing in that, and I've experienced that. What's that about? That's God's power, being unleashed, his blessing in my life and in your life. I mean, folks, don't miss how this works. As we continually trust his promises, hundreds of them in the Bible, God says we will experience his power more and more. John Piper calls this future grace. The fact that as you walk with God and learn to know Jesus and trust his promises, the moment you do that, there's going to be an a, a, a amount of future grace given to you in the next step. I love that word picture. Future grace ready for you each moment of each step as you go along, knowing Jesus, walking with God by trusting his promises. That's what Peter is saying. And don't miss how he puts this to us. And with this, we're going to be done. I love it. He says that when you do this, you become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, you partake and you escape from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So you partake and you escape. One's offensive and one's defensive, right? One is God intruding into your life and you're partakers of the divine nature. The other one allows you to escape from the ugly things that kind of pull you down in this world. That phrase, partakers of the divine nature, was actually a really risky phrase for Peter to use back then. I mean, it was actually kind of a, a Hellenistic Greek religious phrase that they used outside of Christian circles back then. And it's one of the only times it's ever used in the New Testament here. So, so it would be kind of like you and I using New Age language to talk about our Christian faith. I mean, if I did that, you'd go, whoa, Jamie, back off. Like, what have you been doing, watching Oprah or something like that? I mean, you know, just don't, don't be using language like that, right? This is church. And so Peter is kind of risky in using this, this language here, partakers of the divine nature. And many commentators wrestle with what he's trying to say there. And I love when you dig down or drill down on this, that what Peter is basically saying is he's not saying that we become like God or anything silly like that. No, what he means is that we get to share in some of God's divine traits. Things like his strength, his wisdom, his goodness, his grace. That he shares these things with us. He empowers us with them when we know Jesus and bank on his promises. I love how one author puts it. He says it's kind of like a family resemblance. That the more that you become like God, the more that you follow him, the more that you start to look and act like God. Don't you love it when somebody says to you about your kid, you know, gosh, your kid looks just like you. Or if you're ugly, you don't like that. But if you're kind of good looking, you know, you go, yeah, you know, my kid does look just like me, right? You know, and, and I love that. You know, I see in my kids a lot of me. And, and we all love that. It's very binding. It brings us together. And, and that's what Peter is saying here, is that, is that the more that you start to trust God and His promises and know Jesus, the more you're going to start to look like Him. You're going to partake in His nature. He's going to share those benefits with you. And then you get to escape the things of this world. Notice it doesn't say we escape the world itself, but the corruption of this world, those sinful, always dragging us down kind of things. And don't miss lastly, that it's all a package deal. I love how the experts on the Bible point this out, the fact that, that you can't approach 1 Peter, or 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4, and like a buffet, pick and choose what you want to, right? Like you can't sit there and say, you know, I think I'll know Jesus and not trust his promises and I'll choose to partake but not accept. You can't do that. It's all a package deal. You either know him and you trust continually in his promises and if and as you do, you will partake, you will escape, or it's nothing. And that's the reality is, is that God has come along and said, let me show you how to walk with me in any and all circumstances with, that you're in. And every one of you, Peter is saying, can do this. Every one of I want you to do one last thing with me. I want you to look up here on the screen, and I want you to look at the vision statement of our church. We spent all of last year working on a cogent vision statement that we unveiled to all of you about six, eight months ago on our church and and, and where our church is going, what we dream about, what we believe God dreams about when it comes to who we are as a community of faith. And here's how it reads. It's that we want to create a community of Christ followers who are marked, who are known for an unwavering faith and an unconditional love. And all I can tell you, folks, is that that vision statement in my mind, because it's so thoroughly biblical, has an incredible amount of grit and teeth to it. It really does. And I believe it's exactly what Peter is challenging us to here. He's saying, you guys are a community of followers of Jesus. Not liberal believers in God. You're followers of the risen Jesus. And as you're followers of him, you need to be known for two things. We've looked at one of them this morning. First, you need to be known for your unwavering faith. That no matter what happens to you in life, whether the economy goes good or whether it goes sour, whether your marriage is up or whether it's down, whether your kids listen to or not listen to you, whether your emotions work right this week or they don't, whether your body's going well or not, he's saying you can have an unwavering faith in Almighty God through his son Jesus. Does that not fire you up? You can walk with him no matter what. That's what Peter is saying here. And that's what we're to be known for. And then as we're going to move on in this study, he's going to talk to us more about unconditional love. The fact that we are to love like nobody else loves in the world around us. We are to accept others, be kind to them, care for them, serve them in such a way that it's (laughs) head-turning. In such a way that they go, whoa, nobody loves me like that. What's up with you? And we point them to who? We point them to Jesus. It's an unwavering faith and an unconditional love. i got to tell you, that's what we dream about here. That's what every enrichment class, every small group, every service opportunity, every sermon, every song that we sing is trying to drive us toward. Our Savior Jesus, whom we're to trust with everything in us, and then each other, that we're to love with everything in us. We pray for that. We shoot for that. I promise you, we will not limit God's ability to act in our limited lives. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, I thank you that once again your word comes along, and in just one long pregnant sentence, it gives us loads of things to think about and to live for this week ahead. God, I thank you for the Apostle Peter and how uh, toward the end of his life, when he knew that his days were short, he decided to take up his pen and write a letter. And that, Lord, 2,000 years later, they are life-giving words to us. They're words to live by. And so, Father, if I don't miss my guess, most of us can resonate with the fact that we lead very limited lives. It's just the nature of being finite. It's the nature of being human. But God, we've been reminded once again today that you are not limited, that you are limitless. And that when it comes to things like your grace, your power, your love, your truth, your righteousness, you desire to unleash those in our lives. So do that, we pray. May we be faithful as well when it comes to knowing you, when it comes to following you, when it comes to banking on your promises and obeying them. And Lord, as we do, may we partake and may we escape. May you continue to move and breathe in our lives, we pray. Bind us together as a community of faith that is marked by an unwavering faith and an unconditional love, we pray. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. Hey, God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.